0: All right, you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay, I got an intro. Okay, sweet. Spoiler alert, here's this week's Show Show with Sweets and Slaney. What have you been watching this week? You been watching anything, uh, anything new or crazy? I haven't been watching a whole lot of new stuff, uh, and we can talk about the other things that have consumed my time uh, coming up, but in terms of like movies or shows that I watched over the last few days, The only movie that I hadn't seen that I watched this weekend was Pride and Prejudice, like the Keira Knightley movie from 2006. (laughs) Wow, that's a deep, deep cut. It was a weird choice. Becky's really into like this kind of uh, Edwardian period kind of uh, lit. And we watched Sense and Sensibility, like the Kate Winslet movie, uh, like a year ago, maybe. And we liked it. And we watched the Anya Taylor-Joy Emma whenever that came right. out and so i figured well we might as well like round out the jane austen trifecta like the only the closest thing i've seen to pride and prejudice is bridget jones diary which i'd only ever heard was like one of those taming of the shrew is 10 things i hate about you type adaptations uh and now right. having seen both i actually don't think that bridget jones is very faithful pride and prejudice adaptation at all like elizabeth then it's not daffy or clumsy she's quite headstrong
1: and so maybe Bridget Jones's diary is just a, an original
0: story. Just Helen Fielding just going off on what it's like to yeah. date in London around Christmas time.
1: What's wrong with that?
0: No, nothing's wrong with that. No. And we watched, we we were like just crushing Mad Men. I, this wonderful thing happened where nice. <clears throat> we were like rounding the corner on Mad Men. Not even really, but we we're like making a lot of headway on it. And I was starting to get sad. So we were in season four, which by the way is incredible. Season four, I like.
1: That's where I got out. That's so crazy that like season four I started and then I just couldn't find streams anymore because it was uh, like tw- 10 years ago. And yeah. I, I, like, I was really dying on, On, like, living in an apartment and trying to find, and I just kind of gave up and found something
0: else. Well, it's on Amazon Prime if you, if you would to, if you wanted to rejoin it, I would recommend. Season, like, so rarely uh, does a show peak in its fourth season. That's so unusual. Uh, But in particular, I think, I think their mastery on that show, excuse me, this happens every time we do a podcast now. I'm getting old. their, their greatest skill set is knowing even ahead of the audience when you're about to have gotten bored and they preempt it at the perfect time. And so what they do is they make a big like tonal shift in the whole production, which feels a little whiplashy at first. And you're like, what the hell is happening? This is too much, this is too much change all at once. And then you realize two episodes later, thank God they did that. The show is revitalized now. And so that's what I found oh, was really good about about season four. They like branch off, they start their own firm, uh don and betty get divorced and then the show has this new life and now we're in season five and i was kind of sad about that because i'm thinking well there's only six or seven seasons of this show i don't want it to be over and it's actually eight seasons of the show so i just like found an extra an extra 13 episodes yeah you've got a long way to go my friend
1: so what was as froggy entered yet was he in a season
0: no no, but don't don't spoil oh, okay. spoil it. This is what my mother does too, because she's seen Mad Men. She'll be like, Hey, has this happened yet? And invariably it's a thing that has not happened yet. And it's Fair a spoiler. Enough. Froggy. Gotcha. No, no, I think I am I feel like I'm no, froggy right now.
1: He's just he was one of the characters that joined when I got out. So maybe I got oh. through like season five.
0: Are you thinking of Duck Phillips? Duck. Yeah. That's <clears throat> what I'm thinking of. Right.
1: Yeah. So is so you've you've met him at this point. Duck
0: came and went, and we most recently saw him without giving anything away. Most recently saw him in a less than graceful state, and I have some some concerns about if he were to return to the show. I have some concerns that his story would not be very graceful. But we'll see. I don't know. Interesting.
1: Yeah. God, I I'm so far out. Like, yeah, it's it's. A, I'm at least a decade out from watching
0: Mad Men. Did that show make you want to drink and smoke? Mm,
1: I, I mean, probably gave me more of a penchant for uh, like having a, a Tom Collins yeah. or Manhattan or something. That's sure. that's what I mean. But no, smoking—I've never been. Me I've
0: never. Me neither. I just mean they—they they do effectively that. make it look very cool, and drinking is that a part is of true. that too. Like it's—it's—it's it's, it's very hard for them not to look incredibly cool doing it, and that's a bad influence. But. That's, I think, the the primary appeal of the show is just the design of it is so immersive. It's exhilarating.
1: Do you think Mad Men could get
0: made today? That's uh, a weird conversation, isn't it? It's always a weird conversation. <clears throat> yes, I think I think it could. I think there's stuff in it that <clears throat> they wouldn't do now, but they only did then to be provocative and to examine the fact that it wasn't aging well. You know, like the right. the way they treat some of the secretaries, or um, or or just like his marital decorum. That's that's what, what the show true. is. Like it it is it is supposed to appall yeah. you because like wow, this right. wasn't that long ago, but this is the reality of this era and this culture. Now there are other examples that I don't think that they would do. Like there's a wedding where Roger Sterling is in full blackface, and wow yeah okay it's it's very it's very upsetting and uh i'm not sure if i got there and they have on amazon prime anyway they've they've included this little title card that's like hey we're depicting like a thing that's racist we know it's racist um but they wouldn't go there now because why would they
1: no no wow that's so interesting yeah i i do think it it would get made today but you're right like i i wouldn't have even known that there was something that they would say like this, this doesn't age well. Like, cause the whole show you're right is about like, nothing's going to age well in the show, but that I don't think they would put it.
0: I've been watching the Comey rule that Jeff Daniels plays, uh, James Comey, the thing that came out last year. Interesting. It is kind of interesting. I, I've been watching it with this idea that it's very strange that there's only two episodes of it and it's billed as like a TV series which really, it could just be a long movie. And so I, I can't help but like look at it through the lens of, if they just edit, edited this differently, could it just be a film? And what I've arrived at is no. It's way too boring and ill-paced to be a film. And that's why it allows itself to be a TV series instead.
1: <laughs> Which also doesn't seem necessary if it's boring and ill-paced.
0: Well, the gimmick of it is it's just polluted with people whose names and maybe faces you recognize from the news and from Twitter. And so here's, here's an actor you don't really recognize, but then they tell you he's Steve Mnuchin or, or like here's TR Knight from season one of Grey's anatomy. And Oh, he's Reince Priebus. And then of course the coup de grace, Brendan Gleeson is Donald Trump, by the way, very convincingly. Like it's, it's, uh, an impersonation because donald trump himself is so cartoony it would be hard to, hard to do it in like a sincere thespian kind of way and, and and he's not cartoony in his performance he's actually quite sinister um you can't imagine like this version of trump being like uh, and i always hesitate to say charismatic but that is what trump is but the performance is good. And Jeff Daniels is kind of Jeff Daniels in it, the way he always is. He's he's Will McAvoy in it.
1: Right. He's he's kind of a uh a faithful uh straight man. Right. Nice. Right. Um so are you liking it?
0: Well, I'm 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 like three quarters of the way through now and I'm just kinda like taking uh 45 minutes at a time after Becky goes to bed and just kind of cruising through it and it's not bad it's just not that good and it is notably the first um like small screen big screen interpretation of the whole Trump experience which we all yeah. presume is going to be uh you know heavily chronicled in like a Adam McKay type fashion Right. Over the years to come, you know, for better or worse, I remember Aaron Sorkin saying when he was promoting Chicago Seven, they asked him like, "Would you ever do a, a Trump movie, or should anyone?" And he basically said like, "He can try, but there's going to be lots of movies and TV shows about this era," and. Trump himself is just going to have to be like a tangential character who's referenced or seen in news footage. The stories are going to have to be about the other people who are somewhere deep inside their bodies, real people. Whereas Trump is, the word he used is implausible. Trump is, he's stranger than fiction. He's not a believable movie character. And that's such a funny way to describe a true person who's also one of the most notorious people alive. But it's accurate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God, I'm so happy that that era has kind of
0: passed. Yeah, knock on wood.
1: <laughs> I'm happy we got <laughs> out of that and into COVID.
0: What are yeah. you watching? What have you been biding your hours with?
1: So, finished um Mayor of sound that was the big deal. Uh, we Okay, it's so weird to watch a 60-minute TV show now. Yeah. like It's one of those shows where we were going to watch two episodes in a row or like we we did but we would say like are we on the second episode now <laughs> it's like no we're still in the first there's still actually 15 minutes left in the first episode and we're like oh okay great it just gives us more to watch this is cool right um but it was uh because it's not super like it's not like every second something's like jumping out at you or anything and it does keep your attention and she is so good at it Kate Winslet is by the end of it I was like I'd sign up for a Kate Winslet fan club
0: it already feels like she's chasing the Emmy
1: I think so for sure people uh, someone said her and um uh the girl Michaela from I May Destroy You Michaela Cole Yeah, that's a good point. Now, I haven't, like, it's so weird because, like, to me, I I think I haven't seen I May Destroy You the whole way. I I watched a a few episodes and I just, like, couldn't quite dial it. But to watch someone who's British play Philadelphia, in Philadelphia where, like, they're completely, like, changing the way that their body works. Like, and also they gave her a sprained ankle in the first episode. So through the whole thing, she's like limping too. It's just such a funny thing to to do to someone, especially after like a, a, they're supposed to be a, a high school basketball star. And I guess it's supposed to be like, hey, look how far you've fallen from grace. Yeah. Like now you're even limping too. Like you can't even like
0: well, run around. Yeah. Completely. Correct. <laughs> they they threw a lot at her. I mean, Kate Winslet has always been distinctly well known for doing great accents, in particular American accents. Like her most famous character in her career is Rose from Titanic. That's an American character. Revolutionary Road, Clementine from uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine. That's oh right, like, that's a sunshine, yeah. a very specific like kind of American person. Now, I guess the yep. the Philadelphia accent is. Is it Philadelphia? The Pennsylvania accent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's really qu- That's really quite specific and almost goofy. And that she's able to sell it in a way that's convincing is impressive. Because
1: it's not over the top. Like, it's not, you know, you're not being beat over the head with her accent. Yeah. It's just, like, random words where you
0: hear her say the word and you go, like,
1: huh, water.
0: And so that... Show is good because, like, every single Monday, every single Monday, Twitter is just polluted with Mayor of Easttown uh, references. Like, that is a show that clearly captivated people.
1: Totally, and it the last three episodes, three episodes, the last three episodes are particularly exciting. And there's even a scene that I would describe as true detective esque mm. from season
0: one that Some, really... Yeah, I saw somebody else say that on Reddit, that Mare of Eastown just should have been season four of True Detective.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and it would have been fun. Yeah. Like, it actually would have been completely uh, viable as a season four of, of uh, True Detective. Are they talking about season four of True Detective right now?
0: I think that because... I, it'll probably happen eventually, but I think because season three... Well, c- critically well received, just kind of like flew under the radar. I think yeah. they figured like this big return after our, our supposedly bad second season was maybe not worth all the hype and we should move on to other things. Plus, um is it Fukunaga is is he the the guy who who runs that yeah. show or uh, Pizza Pizzarelli, the pizza it boy? Is. Um he's doing the bon- <laughs> he's doing the Bond movie right now, and so he's like he's been trying to get one thing out the door for a year and a half now. Once he gets that out there, maybe we'll see what he does next.
1: So Quiet Place 2 is out now. Like, we're, we should be at a stage now where Bond is actually going to come out.
0: Oh, it has a release date, and um, Black Widow is next, I think. Uh, yeah. in, in the Heights is somewhere in there as well, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes just uh, tweeted that there are 80 official reviews in for In the Heights, and it's at 99% fresh, so that seems remarkable. Um Wow. And then the other movie that came this past weekend is Cruella on both uh, theatrical screens and for the fancy Disney Plus surcharge. I don't know what their language around it is.
1: Let's talk about Cruella a little bit. All Did right. you... Have you watched it?
0: No, I will. I But I'm in no hurry to see it before I can watch it for free on, on the plus. Have you heard
1: much about it? Like that origin story? Yeah. How it's like essentially like Oh, well, it's because she was like, her mother was like pushed off a cliff or something by a, a pack of dogs, and right. that's what caused her to become evil. It's like you could have had such a, a way better avenue to explore. Like, it could have been greed, it could have been, you know, uh, it's so on the nose as to why, why a villain's origin story exists. It's- I think it should have just been like, you know what, I love
0: money. Such surface, surface like Batman cliches about the makings of either a hero or a villain. But I mean, Disney is gun shy, right? They want they want to make a character who's sympathetic with which, by the way, is is already ambitious considering this is maybe the most sadistic of all Disney villains.
1: Dog murderer. Why are you gonna want (laughs) want kids to go? Hey. You know what? Let's make them think again the next time they watch 101 Dalmatians. Maybe they can have some sympathy for this dog
0: murderer. Well, not just dog murderer, by the way, puppy Skinner, and <laughs> <laughs> which is somehow more sinister. Uh, <laughs> That's the the title of the episode, Puppy Skinner. <laughs> Skinner. And this is very plausibly the first um, exposure to Corella Deville a lot of young kids are having. And so like, are they going to then watch the sequel to Cruella 101 Dalmatians starring Glenn Close and be like, is this right. really the next evolution? The other thing that I, ha- and I haven't seen Cruella yet, but I get a real devil wears Prada vibe from it. Like I, in kind of like a silly yeah. Disney evil kind of way, it just seems like they're all Emma Thompson too. They're all just doing Miranda Priestly in a way that I don't need to see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very true. Because, no, it was Glenn Close who played Cruella DeVille, who's like kind of like on the same, maybe like she's on the, she's on podium two to to uh, Meryl Street.
0: Yes. I mean, unless we're counting gold statues, because Glenn Close notably doesn't have one and has been chasing one in a kind of depressing manner for the last couple of Oscar seasons. And Meryl has three. But she...
1: But she's got like eight nominations
0: or something, doesn't she? Something oh, crazy. yeah, she's a legend. There you're right. What, what am yeah. I quibbling? Glenn Close is a legend, right?
1: Um, in any case, yeah, it's funny because Cruella was something that, that yeah, you're right. It is very like Devil Wears Prada esque to begin with.
0: Yeah, the, the, it takes place where in, Emma Stone It takes place in the fashion industry right like yeah and it's the era seems strange because i've heard a lot about how the needle drops are really expensive and uh zemeckisius almost like like really on the nose they use like a lot of like rolling Stones songs and they're quite cliche and it's weird because 101 dalmatians is like set in like the 40s and so this prequel is set in the 60s and like i mean i guess that's also a nitpick that we shouldn't get too worked up about but they tried to really stylize this movie in like an exciting way. And I haven't seen it yet. And so it's silly of me to criticize it, but like the reviews are pretty good. They say Emma Stone is actually very good, but yes, I think in premise yeah. it's, it's very goofy. Uh, yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah.
1: Um, I finished. Did I finish Formula One: Drive to Survive last week?
0: Yeah, you told us. I think I did. Told us about how that went. Do you have any updates on the PGA uh, drama? Because I did get invested in that last week.
1: I don't. Um, Now, I will keep you posted on that.
0: (laughs) Okay, please Uh,
1: do. I was I was trying to think if if (laughs) there was another thing that stuck stuck in my mind, and it's so so inside golf uh inside golf memes golf memes are hilarious i don't know like you should just go down a rabbit hole someday but there is a there's this guy i've been following recently called manolo teaches golf and he's kind of like a like south american like golf pro and he's got he's he's got like you know he's dark and he's got the beard and he's like super like fitted and he's really funny he's got this Kind of accent, and uh, his whole thing is like, That's it, you know, you got the head to like that, and that's it. And uh, but he's he's really funny, like, and he's actually a really good golfer, too. So he's giving these golf lessons, and then he's doing that. But then my friend showed me a video yesterday that was essentially like him slating, like, he's an actor, oh, uh, and he's like fluent in Spanish, and he's like, You know, I'm also a golf pro. And that really catches people off guard. Like he's he's basically giving his bio and we're like, no, he's not real. So in my head, when you asked me if there was any other golf drama, that was the golf drama that yeah. happened in my head. So you could see the wheels turning being like, this isn't really worth explaining, but I'm stuck in a corner here. I isn't gotta get it, this thought out.
0: I'm fascinated to learn that this exists in sports too, because that is definitely an illusion shattering moment that happens in like movies and more conventional entertainment. Good examples are uh, Lana Del Rey. Like you can listen to like all of the different music that she recorded before she was Lana Del Rey. Uh, And it's completely different stylistically. Kesha's another one, these like pop stars who were just trying anything stylistically to see what could stick. Brie Larson is another good example of somebody who was like, had a music video on the Family Channel when we were kids. And then became a serious actor who now has an Academy Award. And so, like, w- what illusion you're shattering is this idea that every step of the way was this integrity laced move that brought the cream, the the cream of the crop to the very top. And and like, e- and everybody uh, exists within a creative meritocracy. And to some degree, that's true. But also, some of these people were just born to be famous. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're describing with this guy. Like, he is. An entertainer, and that's all any of these people are. And whatever their medium may be, they will go with God.
1: Totally. And, and having said that, like, respect to this guy. Like, I should still yeah. continue to follow him because I was entertained by him when I thought he was real. And now I should be more impressed that he's put the work into becoming this person as a character. Let's just
0: enjoy it. Let's talk about the friends reunion because that was for sure the yes. big the big thing of the weekend. And you right. saw it. You saw the whole thing. We, we watched it on, on Friday evening.
1: Yeah, Saw the whole thing, I think. Well, you, you go ahead. You you extemporate a little bit.
0: You know what? I'm a little bit haunted by my comments on the podcast we did last week where I said it, there's no way it can live up to the hype because in a strange way I had grown so cynical about this special that – I could do nothing but enjoy it. I could I could only be surprised by the authenticity of it. And so, when they bring on your Gunthers and your Janices, it's so lovely, and you can tell that these people really love each other. Uh, and, and what I didn't see coming is that they weren't just going to sit on a couch and tell stories that we've largely heard before, or do little sketches, or sit in the recreated apartment miraculously well created by the way <laughs> what i didn't anticipate is that they were in fact making a documentary about friendship and they yeah. they achieved something beautiful it has all of these singular characters in it um i thought matt leblanc in particular like he's he's the puppy dog that you kind of knew joey to be because he remembers right. everything the best and there's this great moment where they're all entering separately so they each kind of get their own private moment and they're 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 coming into the apartment and they're having this very like sweet uh intimate reunion and uh LeBlanc has already come in and I think he's talking about how Courtney Cox had had often written her lines on the table and so he's yeah. t- and nobody else remembers this but but Matt LeBlanc and he, he's like telling everybody that do you remember Courtney used to write her lines on the table and then Courtney Cox comes in and she immediately gets very emotional. And as he goes up and talks to her about how she uh wrote her lines on the table, without saying anything, he's dabbing her eyes. And it's just this very tender moment that really got Becky too. It's this very tender thing that was like an instinct. Um Other examples of, of them just having the show in their blood. Um I noticed this in in David Schwimmer a lot. He did not remember a lot of specifics about the making of the show. Because It's, I think, easy for us to forget that they don't watch it as often as we do. Um, He wouldn't remember the line at all when he's like, when they're recreating the scenes, they're reenacting the iconic moments. He wouldn't remember the line specifically, but he'd phrase it the same. His instinct to, to do it would be like the exact same timbre because it's in him. Ross is in him somewhere. And I thought that was so cool.
1: Or like, yeah, it's maybe just their his acting instinct to go that way. Yeah, and it like it just shows the the kind of human nature and people. Like, I wonder if they showed the scene first at all, or like what kind of background stuff was done there because it was very like it melded from the the speaking uh, the, the the table read right to the scene. Yeah, it melted so well.
0: I love the way it was edited. Um... And the way that it bounced all around, like we were a little nervous about James Corden. I saw some Reddit posts from people complaining that James Corden ruined the Friends reunion. I think if that's the case, then you were not looking to have a good time because he had maybe 11 minutes of screen time. He he knew right. his place. He wasn't in the way. Right.
1: No, he's fine. Was what it was. Um, and uh, loved hearing Ross, Ross, David Schwimmer talk about how he hated Marcel. That was a... That was great.
0: Yeah. Um, they talked about yeah, the monkey. They did not talk about the babies. Like, there was no talk about Cole Sprouse or, or the, the kid who played Emma. Um, no, true. No Paul Rudd, no Hank Azaria. But it was also shot during COVID. Some people just probably couldn't make it. It is what it is. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's almost funny that there wasn't like a TV shout out or something, but they, they were like so at the end of it, too. Well I had area was at the beginning, I guess.
0: I I feel bad for Matthew Perry just because everybody has decided that they have this narrative about him that's true. And I think that he was, you know, a little quiet. I think he and Courtney Cox both like were decidedly less in it than the other four. Um, but that could be anything. Like they're all emotional. I think they all had a nice time. And that's what I wanted I, I wanted them to have moments. a nice time.
1: I thought he picked his moments pretty well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like to be, you know, he had his little like quip quips and his cuts, and then you know, kind of got out of there. I honestly, I didn't think that he was that. I, I don't think that he was like angry or anything. I wasn't sure how well he was. Like he seemed like he had a bit of like a a trepidation with like almost like a slowness. Like there was yeah. like a, a half second behind. So where, apparently where he,
0: he, had, would be. he had he uh... had. Like surgery on a on his gums just a few days before, and that's uh, a, allegedly why he was a little slurry, and maybe it was why he was talking a little slowly, yeah, who knows yeah I,
1: I would believe that yeah, yeah, it just seemed like a little more calculated like everything I was almost like, oh, I wonder if something if he had a health scare or something that I which obviously he has, but yeah, wasn't your, it was not
0: sure. I don't know i th- I, I think he was emotional, I think that's that's all we need to to concern ourselves with um it was interesting how. He talked a little bit about his neuroses as a performer, which is not a thing I knew about like how needing to Mm -hmm. get the laugh and like really, really wearing it if a laugh doesn't work. And I found that quite interesting because we perceive him as just being this like funny guy who played a funny guy with neuroses, but actually he's a funny guy with neuroses playing a funny guy with neuroses.
1: Right. And I, I didn't really need the, do you know what I'm going to say here? Fashion show? Now, I didn't really need to sp- the fast show. You're right. Although, you know what? There was, there was a bit of a, a thing sure. for it. it. was quick enough. I didn't really need to listen to other fans talk about how much they love Friends.
0: Oh, no, no. You mean like randos like, when n- they did that? Yeah. Yeah, that was pointless. Yeah.
1: Don't, don't need to go around the world. We, we fast forwarded through it. It's like great, happy that, you know, this show might have saved you, but also like, it's a tv show i don't need to know your thoughts on it it's, it's just great that it's important to you
0: well yeah and like i learned to speak english from friends like some of these things i i don't know that's yeah that seems like a bit of a reach i thought gaga was okay i i wasn't prepared to like that they oh, gave yeah, her right. such a, a spotlight but like i liked that they framed it as like they they gaga is like the weird one i guess i mean she's still kind of playing the i'm an outcast card in pop culture which is silly but whatever and then they they, she like thanked phoebe for being the phoebe i thought that was kind of nice
1: yeah yeah also don't know that we needed a full uh, gospel choir with everyone like it just felt like it was a little long
0: that's from the show though that's like i heard somebody else say that on a podcast too that like what that gaga oversang smelly cat and that like when the choir came in it's too much that's an no, ap- no. that's an episode but did of the friends choir where-
1: come in in the show
0: yes so th- there's two moments there's a moment oh, okay. where chrissy hind from the pretenders over smelly cat and it doesn't impress mm-hmm. phoebe but that i
1: remembered and i was waiting for her to say i think it's better when it's just me so it's happy right. that she eventually did get there
0: so there's another episode where phoebe gets like a record deal and she gets to make a a, a music video for smelly cat and she's her art is compromised when they like they use another vocalist who can sing better than her and they like overproduce it with this like backing gospel choir and they add all of this like flair and so that's what they were doing a i guess a a send up of overall i thought it was really good I, I i knew you would know i didn't think i would like it as much as i did but we we shed a few tears it was nice
1: nice
0: i wanted to bring this up uh Because we were just talking about what's going on with Miles Teller. He just replaced. Can you guess who he replaced?
1: (laughs) Okay, so without any context, he replaced someone in something.
0: Who's probably in a bunch of things that are going to need to be replaced over the next year or so? Somebody who's not going to be working again for a long time. Roughly the same age. uh... Nice jaw.
1: Oh, Army Hammer.
0: Yes, Miles Teller's replacing Army Hammer in The Offer, which is that uh production, I don't know if it's a movie or a show, about the making of the Godfather.
1: Gotcha. Which
0: now I'm dubious of because I've seen Mank and the making of good movies. Movies are not necessarily interesting to me, but Miles Teller's gonna take over Army Hammer in that.
1: Okay. I actually think he was maybe a better pick in the first place.
0: Yeah. I can see that. He has more Godfather energy than Army Hammer for sure.
1: Yes, I think that's it.
0: Yeah, and speaking of Army Hammer, uh, Luca Guadagnino confirms he's moving away from the Call Me by Your Name sequel. I mean, that that was never going to work. Um, I didn't. People were psyched about the Call Me by Your Name sequel. I kind of thought that first movie was perfect. I know the novel has a sequel that people like, but like, don't add to that. And now that that Army Hammer's not available for it, I think it's a blessing in disguise. They just move away from that, and it seems like that's the case.
1: And t- what's Timmy Chalamet not in it? Is there something in it that would prevent Timmy Chalamet? From- does he? No, get, he,
0: he would have been in it and, and he was attached. Um, but, okay. but I think they figure we can't get army back because of the obvious. So maybe let's just cut our losses and not do this. Right. And Timmy's going to play uh, right. Willy Wonka. So he's gonna play full. <laughs> right. Um, We're
1: going to find out that the origin story of Willy Wonka was that, is oh, isn't there some actually supposed to be something there? Like, or did they they showed that in the Johnny Depp? Yes, kind of origin. You're right. Story. There is.
0: There's an origin of how he came to enslave the Oompa Loompas, where he's like in the rainforest, like looking for cacao beans or something, and right. he comes across the Oompa Loompas and he gives them a home. That is in the Johnny Depp version. Yeah.
1: Why couldn't he have just been a kid that liked candy?
0: How do you get to be that sadistic, though? Yeah.
1: Well, especially with Tim Burton at the helm.
0: Right. So, so true. So, um, this is just uh, conjecture, but it's interesting. Quentin Tarantino hadn't heard his name in the trades in a year or so, and so he decided he'd, like, drum up the rumor mill. This also might be because the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming up pretty soon, and now... He, I, for one, he's probably trying to uh, create interest in that. And also, um, he fancies himself something of a novelist, I guess. Uh, QT, considering not doing his last movie at all, um, famously, he said he was going to make 10 movies. He's made nine, which would leave one left. Uh, and now he's saying, well, maybe I just won't make it because like, every great director's last movie is shitty. So I should probably just like avoid myself making a shitty movie, which is such a bullshit Quentin Tarantino thing to say. He's never gonna make a shitty movie. He's just trying to Maybe get just, people to beg him.
1: Totally. Maybe you just don't say that you're only doing ten movies. Although it's working.
0: It's like, too it's late now for me. I mean, yeah. He he probably said that quite flippantly when he said it initially. I'm only gonna make ten movies. Uh, and for some reason it just stuck, and so now when he makes a movie, it became lore, it became lore and now everybody asks him. So this is this was number seven. This is number eight. This is number nine. What are you still sticking to your guns on ten? And I think he just decided to stick to his guns. But he also on once upon a time in Hollywood press, he would say like, well, maybe I'll write books, or maybe I'll do TV work, or I'll work, I'll I'll write screenplays, but I won't direct them. And so like he's already looking for ways to get around his little rule.
1: Yeah.
0: Huh. And here's yeah, like, he'll he'll be fine. Here's another theory. He makes 10 movies, and then 10 years go by, and he decides to make an 11th movie. If it's great, then great. If it's not, he can say, told ya.
1: Right. Right. He wants to do the the, the sequel of Kill Bill. Like, this is one thing that he's always talked about doing. Was In Kill Bill, Vivica A. Fox's daughter sees her mother getting killed yeah. by Uma Thurman. And... He like 15 or 16 years ago was saying, what I really want to do, maybe like 17 years ago, what I really want to do is down the road, have her confront the bride Mm. and have that be like a whole new thing, which could totally be done.
0: Well, he has a kid now. Maybe that kid will have to direct that movie in like 30 years. He has a kid now? Yeah, he got married and had a kid.
1: Oh, he's really softening up. I, guess. I wonder if the cocaine consumption has gone down.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> uh, more conjecture. Uh, Joker 2, Todd Phillips, possibility. That's all no. we know. Yeah. It's Why? Well, and what's even crazier is that it seems beneath Joaquin. It kind of seemed beneath him the first time. And obviously it was the right mm-hmm. call. Uh, but it seems beneath him to do a sequel and I remember when he was promoting Joker, like talking about him, talking about how like he and Todd got along great. And like he and Todd have already talked about like ways to continue the story. And I don't know. It just seems like a stupid idea, but obviously Joker was a huge commercial success and it was pretty good for, for Joaquin's reputation too.
1: Yeah. I still haven't watched Joker and you haven't either. have you? No, but I've seen all the moments. Right. Do we think that that would be? Do we have much else beyond beyond that, sweets? Or because it's actually kind of a good segue.
0: Oh, we've got a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Wait.
1: And okay. I actually, and I'll, actually, I'll hang on to that.
0: I actually have another thing that's going to be an even better segue coming out. Okay, I prepared like a a little a listicle. Uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to say there's another uh, sequel rumor, and it's Wedding Crashers 2. Apparently, it's in development with uh, with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. I maybe Isla Fisher and, and Rachel McAdams. I don't know that either one of them are too big to refuse that at this point. And so it seems like those four could make yep. a Wedding Crashers movie.
1: Ah, uh, it's just so like it's so sacred. At this point, I've seen too much go wrong. Why bother? Get the whole cast together and do something kind of similar and different.
0: Weird. Well, do you remember when Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson made the internship of where they worked at Google? Yeah, wasn't I that didn't good? See that. Wasn't that good? Yeah. They have good chemistry and I liked Wedding Crashers, but talk about stuff that doesn't age well. Like the premise of Wedding Crashers is not going to survive the me too era nor should it. And so like what are they going to do to make it work now?
1: Yeah. Plus, I don't know like how do you do a Wedding Crashers to to begin with? I don't know. Like the, they're supposed to all be together. They is it going to be like, oh, "Okay, now we're going back to the well, we're both single again. Let's crash weddings again. Like there's no, that doesn't work.
0: The first one ends with the four of them drive off into the sunset and like they're planning to crash a wedding as a foursome. And so like, maybe it's that. And it become, it could even become like a bit more of a Rachel McAdams, Isla Fisher vehicle, which is kind of funny, but like, I just, I don't, it's not necessary. And plus I don't see how a wedding crashers two in theory could escape what became of anchorman two and Zoolander two. Why is it going to be any totally. different from that? It's going to be exactly the same. We're going to regret it,
1: man. I hear you. I hear, and I care more about Wedding Crashers. I think than I do about Zoolander and Anchorman. Interesting. Like, yeah, I just think that 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 movie is a overall better
0: movie. It's more rewatchable and it's more grounded in reality. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, it's it's got more heart.
0: So on that note. Uh, I meant to do this a couple of weeks ago when this list came out, but I forgot to, and now it's as good a time as any to to talk about IndieWire's uh, ranking of the top ten greatest comedy movies of the twenty first century. So, greatest comedy movies of the twenty first century. I don't know if they're trying to <laughs> be provocative or just. Um, uh contrary it's very possible he's got his pen and paper
1: i've got my pen and paper out so what
0: what i'm going to do is i'm going to read for you the top 10 and i also have a top 10 uh separate from that okay so i want you to know going in this list is insane this is indie wire's top 10 21st century comedies at number 10 midnight in paris it is a clever movie. Uh, speaking of Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams, it has a fun premise. It has a rewatchability until you remember that it's Woody Allen and why are you choosing to put a Woody Allen movie on your yeah. list now in 2021?
1: An IndieWire. You're supposed to be aware.
0: You're better than this. Number nine is Burn After Reading, which I remember seeing in high school. And, and like that is, a, that is the definition of a dark comedy. And I don't know that it has rewatchability factor. I remember it being incredibly upsetting at times. Uh, and it's really not in the consciousness. Nobody talks about how Burn After Reading is like their favorite movie.
1: No, I've never never seen it. I actually did mean to circle back within the last three months and watch it though.
0: Number eight is Enough Said, starring James Gandolfini and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You know where they're sitting on the porch? Number eight is... No, I don't know. <laughs> All right, now there's a run that makes a little more sense. Number seven is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, okay. Uh, Number six is super bad, And incidentally, today is McLovin's 40th birthday, according to his Hawaiian driver's license today, the day we're recording this. Okay. Number five is Team America World Police. I'm okay with that. Number four is The Grand Budapest Hotel. I just sang its praises last week on the podcast. It's not the fourth best comedy of the last 21 years. That's insane. Number three, oh my god, is lost in translation. What? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, and Grim grim Budapest is is a huge stretch. It's it's an accomplishment. Yeah. I don't know if it's even as a comedy. Like,
0: it's a farce. It's a caper, it's, and it's, it's and it's yeah. It's very quirky and and very funny at times, but like. As a comedy, like the fourth best comedy, no. Uh, number two is School of Rock, which I like. I love School of Rock, but that's a weird take for the second best comedy of twenty-one years. So weird. all of these takes are so, so weird. weird. Uh, number one is <laughs> I could give you a thousand guesses, and you'd never guess number one, which is Sideways, starring Paul Giamatti and oh. Thomas Hayden Church. They said Sideways, the wine movie, is the best comedy of the century.
1: No way. Yeah. This is absolutely outrageous. Okay. First of all, the 21st century needs to be defined as the Judd Apatow comedy century. So far, like, how could you not throw as many movies of his in there as possible? Yes. to see four year old Virgin and super bad at seven and six. Okay. I'm just happy they made it in based on what this list is. Team America actually, I I think is, is kind of, yeah, I'm due for a rewatch of Team America. I don't know if you've watched that recently, but like I quote that having only seen it like twice.
0: Right. So I've made a list of, uh, notable omissions according to my, and I've ranked them. So these are only movies that didn't appear in IndieWire's list. Um,
1: Oh, man, I wish you would have given me a heads up because I would have compiled my own top 10.
0: I should have done that for you, but I just put this together about an hour ago. Um, Sure. Number 10, you just mentioned John Apatow. I Have the Big Sick, which was nominated for Best Screenplay, is a return to form for classic romantic comedies, but actually has this like elevated kind of uh, 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 urgency to the story. Plus, it's based on... Truth. Ray Romano gives one of the best supporting performances in a romantic comedy ever. So maybe the big sick. Number nine, I have Juno. Number eight, I have Shaun of the Dead. Number seven, I I, number seven, I have Anchorman. Just in terms of impact, it has to be on there. Number six is Mean Girls on my list.
1: Like it, really like it. Num-
0: number five, I didn't realize this was in the 20th century, but I Googled and it came out in 2000. Best in show. We need a Christopher Guest movie on here if we can. Number four is Tropic Thunder. Number three okay. is Legally Blonde. Number two is Borat. Yes.
1: Oh my God. Borat could almost even be number one.
0: And number one is Brides. fucking Bridesmaids. Where is that movie on their on their list? Right. Are you joking? What this is is a very sexist list because they they deliberately omitted Bridesmaids, Legally Blonde, Mean Girls in favor of Sideways? Seriously? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the 40-year-old white dude drinking wine movie? What happened? Um okay, so we got we so I agree with 6 of those. Okay. That I just put in um and those are anchorman 40 year old version, wedding crashers you didn't say wedding crashers i did
0: didn't you. but i mean you could swap that out for for a number of them like like we mentioned it's kind of in the same uh class as say anchorman and i definitely like wedding that crashers makes, better
1: that makes my top 10 for sure i i feel like some people would toss in pineapple express i won't
0: yeah that's fair Look, I also think that this is a bit of an honorable mention because it's not explicitly a comedy, but there's a case to be made for The Wolf of Wall Street being among the funniest movies of the last 21 years.
1: Mhm. I like that take. I definitely like that take. I'm just trying to think of like it's weird to think of because lately I haven't rewatched funny movies. Right. A lot, like I haven't gone back to that well. Um I think Borat, I think Borat could could be number one Yeah,
0: there's that i mean there yes there's something like truly brave about borat and kind of changed everything and and like if we're just talking about cultural impact it's bigger than ron burgundy
1: yeah and, and more more obviously meaningful like there was a, a point yeah to it like it was showing america
0: yeah it's satire at its um finest.
1: that's right yeah, I don't know. And then I start to go back. Man, we had such a good run there for a little bit of just like solid comedies that were happening.
0: Yeah. When, when comedies were actually I was in be- high when they were being made when we were in high school, like Step Brothers was just a a regular Friday. And like a lot of people have seen Step Brothers a bazillion times.
1: You're right. And honestly, I feel like Step Brothers should be on the top 10 list.
0: Okay. Your list is different from mine, but let's, that's
1: great. Let's put that on there. Well, it's because I'm like, I'm really grasping at straws, like, because I just don't have any comedies top of mind. But Step Brothers, like, that is a movie that people quote all the time. Now, I've only seen it twice. Yeah. Maybe, like, three times. It was just in a weird time. It was when I was in university, like, second, third. Like, I I wasn't, like, taking in movie content a whole lot. I just... You know, it was like a silly comedy that just kind of like flew under the radar. Yeah. Whereas like Anchorman and 40-Year-Old Virgin and Wedding Crashers, they were like right in the like, we're all in high school, we're going to this movie. Even
0: Knocked Up is in that class too, although that one's like surprisingly not that funny when you go back to it. It's like got funny people in it, but but Knocked Up is actually kind of a bummer to revisit. (laughs)
1: I, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean for sure. But I think <laughs> now, like every movie you're saying, I'm like, that's on my list.
0: <laughs> that's good. You should like things.
1: I feel not knocked up fills out my list for sure, just because of like, you know, what. Now, we watched it last year and I was like, this does not get made. And it's actually, there are parts that I wish could obviously be omitted. And and there are parts that I think um, the creators wish can be amended at this point.
0: That's very possible. I, did I tell you I've been reading uh, Seth Rogen's book, your book? No. Do You it's, like it? Yeah, it's kind of fun. Like I, I I should be done with it by now, but I'll just sit down and like read a chapter, and the chapters are like six pages. Um, it's kind of fun because like we've we've experienced so much of his screenwriting and none of his prose. Which like not it's quite deliberately not masterful, but it's so digestible. And it's not like a a cradle in up life story. He's just compiled a bunch of amusing experiences. But what's especially good about the first half, and I think this is the best sell job I could do on it, is that the first half is just essentially super bad outtakes because it's just about him being in high school trying to like impress girls or like get stoned or whatever. And all the characters are named the same names as characters in, so like, it's not just Seth and his friend Evan, it's also Fogel. And like, there's a Steven Glansberg. Like what am I gonna sit here and eat my lunch by myself? Like I'm fucking Steven Glansberg? It's a real guy. (laughs) All these people who are just like tangentially mentioned in Superbad are real people. And he mentions them in other contexts in funny stories from when he was actually in high school. And so the first half of the book is pretty surreal.
1: Now, is Steven Glansberg someone that he liked, though? Like, was he actually a friend? Or did he actually use someone that he thought was a weirdo? Okay, good. Because I'm going to say, like, if you are using someone that you actually thought was, like... uh not a cool person like i'm gonna eat by myself like i'm this person and then they're just at home watching
0: him no his his whole idea was they just wanted to name everybody in super bad after somebody from their high school that was like their idea of like how to name all the characters which is really cool and uh the only name they made up was Jules, which is emma stone's character uh because it was seth's first girlfriend he like you know that like he was like doing stand up when he was 15. He was like that weird yeah. kid. And so I guess he he dated her for a few days or a few weeks and they broke up and then he did a stand up joke about her and she got mad that he was like telling jokes in the clubs about her and she asked yeah. him she asked him not to use her name or something and so like he went back when when uh they wrote super bad and he's and I I don't know if he if he asked her or if he just figured he wouldn't bother asking her but they had to Come up with a new name because they weren't going to use her real name in uh, in Superbad, and he made up a new new name for her in the book. And he's like, and this isn't her real name either. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Interesting. I thought you were going to say that Jules was like she was okay with being called Jules at this point.
0: No, but that
1: wasn't her actual
0: name. No, we'll never know. Damn. Anyway, so that was that was my transition into the discussion of what is comedy? How do we define comedy and who is gatekeeping comedy these days? Because it seems to be a prominent discussion surrounding a new special on Netflix called Bo Burnham inside, which came out on Sunday, which is your first clue that it's not going to be a fun weekend romp. It came out on a Sunday. (laughs) Good point. And, um, we watched it on Sunday right. evening. We watched it on Sunday evening knowing I think a little bit that it was probably going to be uh a ride and it was a ride. When I talked to you about it on Tuesday, although not uh in any kind of detail, you hadn't seen it yet, but I did I did I make you more inclined to see it? Were you going to get around to it eventually? Were you considering not watching it? What was your thinking by Tuesday?
1: A couple of things happened. Okay. So I woke up on Sunday morning. I think it was Sunday or Monday. And, and it I saw on Reddit that this special had been released. And then I was reading people's comments. And it was like, I'm actually okay with a special that I like don't laugh at. And like, you know he's got. them people are like yeah i'm kind of concerned but like wow th- it was amazing what he did like i think this was really good and then i started seeing people post about it on instagram and then th- my takeaway was like this is going to be really sad um the what i put together was this is going to be sad and like depressing to a level that i haven't felt before mm. and then my friend watched it uh well, you watched it, and my friend watched it, and at, on the same day you were both talking about it, and I was like, "But is it funny at all?" And you were both like, uh, yeah." <laughs> it, and I was like, "Okay." I just felt like that was such, a, and then I watched it. And I was like, "This is great." Oh, look, this is a funny, yeah, special.
0: The second, I I think it's so insane that people are saying it's not a comedy. I I, I watched it twice now. The second time, it's Really funny, and I think I think it is the first time too. You just are kind of taken aback by when it's not funny, and you forget about the funny moments. But it's hysterically funny right from the beginning, and then occasionally it's yeah. not. So who cares?
1: There are a few different things. Okay, so so I guess we should start by talking about some of the some of the content. Okay, now we. We cover the range of everything from FaceTime with my mom. Great jam! How the world works. White woman's Instagram. Yeah, white um, woman's Instagram is Jeff really Bezo- Jeff Bezos was was a was a special favorite for me. See,
0: I think that uh, white woman's white woman's Instagram is is a really special signature bow move that he's used before, although rarely quite as effectively. Where like it just sounds like he's. Um, kind of ranting about privilege and 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 about vap- right. vapidity in a world of self-obsession. He's he's done that song before, uh but then he turns it on its head in the end and a couple of things happen. And the girl and the, the white woman in the song starts talking about her mother and it's suddenly this person is just finding happiness in a really sad existence. And it's suddenly like the song is about how it's okay to just have basic shit on your Instagram. Like, why do we have to criticize? And like, I think that's a cool twist for that that song to have. And that for me is when the whole special kind of shifts into maybe we're judging individuals way too much and not the greater issue.
1: That's so interesting because I didn't think about it that way. I was like, oh, now he's going really mean. Like he's just leaning into like how how basic things can be meaningful, and he can still tease people about that.
0: Which you can, but can't basic things be meaningful? They can't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Like, but it seems like he's kind of undercutting that. <laughs> right.
0: How the World Works was, but, uh, but was, I don't know that he was. You're right. How the World Works was remarkably well written. Like, and and also. Um, the what's like the song from the internet's perspective perspective i don't know what it's called but
1: welcome to the internet welcome
0: to the internet um those both that song is so good that might be the best thing he's ever made it's it like yeah welcome to the internet is it's horrifying and it's such
1: at at such a dark point too and he's wearing the kind of
0: like well
1: what uh, what glasses that are like fascinating
0: (laughs) idea to do that song from the perspective of the internet, like that's uh, trying to entice people to come over to it. He's like playing the character of like a creepy carnival guy. Who's like trying to steal your kids. Like it's such a, a, such a cool thing. And that's what I was going to say. It's also like that with uh, how the world works, which is, which is kind of written like it's a Sesame street song and he's got a sock puppet in it, which is literally just like a disgusting gym sock. Um, He, he really infused like very specific contexts to the songs, not just genres, but like you're living in a world in this individual song because this is such a multimedia experience in uh, white woman's Instagram. The aspect ratio changes to that of an Instagram square and FaceTime with my mom. The aspect ratio changes to that of an iPhone, uh, in like portrait mode. And, and so I don't think I picked up on any of that. Oh, yeah. All all of this has, like, so much built into it. And so that's, uh, and I know I'm all over the map here, but, like, that's one of my big takeaways of Inside. Like, content aside, Bo Burnham is one of the best directors in the world. And we've seen him make one feature film, and it was, like, a sweet movie with a little darkness to it, but it was mostly just a sweet movie. But, like, this guy might be, like, David Lynch. Like, he's a an incredible filmmaker.
1: Oh man, and he cared so much about and, and like shooting it in one room, a lot of it looked so cool. Yes. So, so cool. Like he he really put all the work in when it's showing him at the beginning too, like changing all the lighting and and then some of the scenes that he has throughout, it's uh, really creates a vibe.
0: Right, and, and some of those, some of that B-roll where he's just like setting up the scene and there's this like weird polyphonic yeah. music kind of Serving as a um, transition between from song to song, uh, from vignette to vignette, and you're right, he's just like setting up the lighting or like trying things out or se- testing his microphones. That's what gives the the special a documentary vibe, and I think that's part of the reason why certain people are are litigating how to classify this style of filmmaking because. I think we can okay. I think we can agree it's not stand-up comedy. He's not standing up and there's no audience there. Like those are the those are the only, you know, defining uh criteria. It is a, it is I mean, it, actually maybe Jade can help us with this because I'm pretty sure like academically speaking, this is like a theatrical view of it. I'm pretty sure all all a comedy is is something with a happy ending and a tragedy is something with a not happy ending. And I don't think that this, without giving anything away, I don't think that this necessarily commits to one or the other. Although he gets a haircut, and he's not dead, so it's not an—it's okay. not a tragedy. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, people trying to decide like whether or not you should call it a special is like—is that kind of too trivial a word for what this is? Is it a feature film? Well, it doesn't—it's—it's it's scripted, but it doesn't tell like a narrative story, and it doesn't feature actors per se. But then again, maybe it does because it features an actor. So I don't. I, I think it just doesn't matter. Like some of the arguments people are having about this, about this, about how to classify this. It's reminiscent of if, of Nanette. You remember when people were like, "Nanette's not a comedy special." Well, who freaking right. cares what it is? It's art.
1: Sure, it's it. So we can agree it's content that we both enjoyed that we're not necessarily sure how to. Um, categorize it but we did enjoy it
0: well no i i i do know how to categorize it it's a comedy and it's i categorize it as a thing i liked so like i that's my yeah, point is I, I, I yeah that's my point is i just don't think it matters w- what menu we're going to put it on or what section of blockbuster we're gonna uh file it in it doesn't matter
1: i do want to litigate some things that don't need to be litigated
0: okay <laughs> i love it. just because i'm curious that's what a podcast is
1: Okay, so do we think that Bo Burnham was literally in this? Like, this is his guest house. It makes it seem like he was stranded in his guest house the entire time. Yeah. Um, a not sure that that's what happened, which is fine, because like he has another house and a girlfriend. You don't see any of that. So it does make it seem, which, for dramatic effect, very compelling. Like, yeah. he, sure, for all intents and purposes, he might have been in there the whole time. And again, this doesn't matter.
0: This is just me, like, getting it, it, in the weeds it, on something that I matter. found kind of interesting. It does matter, and I wanted to talk about that, too. I, I I do think we should say we don't know that he has a girlfriend. Like, three years ago, when he was promoting eighth grade, he had a long-term girlfriend. This special is dedicated to someone named lore at the end it says and thanks to lore thanks for everything
1: yeah she's like the the like screenwriter of hustlers
0: like they're still together how do you know they're there still was, like together? an
1: article about it the other day i don't know there's an
0: article okay that's that's good to know um but it i think it does matter whether or not he was actually like methodically living in isolation in this like little imprisonment, this self-imposed imprisonment for the sake of his art for the last year. I don't think it, he was, but and I it made I, it seem like it was. Well, I mean he didn't get a haircut. His his beard was bad. But like there was also a, it's not like he was just winging it. Like it was all clearly like designed to bounce around in the timeline. And I think that that what people are arguing about and in particular how it relates to his mental health and what this says about Bo as a human is a similar thing that John Mulaney is quietly experiencing right now. Because John talked about his marriage in his comedy, people feel an entitlement to the illusion that they understand what it was like between John and Anna in their marriage. And that is very foolish. You don't know what's going on in someone's marriage just because you've heard one singular uh, bit of art that was created for another purpose entirely than to give you intimacy. And so now everybody feels like betrayed by the fact that John Mulaney and his wife are getting divorced and we're projecting all of these assumptions on why that might have happened. And I think we are doing the same thing with Bo Burnham and his mental health, which is a big move. And I think that the creation of something like this, given how good it is, it's safe to assume that it comes from a place of sincerity. But I also think it's easy to forget because he's good that it is a performance. And so, yes. So we don't know. Maybe when he starts to cry, maybe that was real. Maybe it was. And when he keeps trying to intro the one year mark of his working on it and he keeps tripping over his and he eventually just knocks over the lamp because he's I bet that was real. It felt real. But that doesn't mean this is the only bow that exists and he's bearing his everything for you because you've earned it. If you are assuming that by watching this, you're really missing the thesis of Bo Burnham, which is that you're not entitled what? to all this.
1: I, I don't think earning it has anything to do with it. Sweets, so he he released it to the to the world. Like he right, he decided the way that he wanted it to look.
0: Exactly, that's my point.
1: Yeah, so so I mean, to be fair, you you do have you, you can come out of watching a special and say whether you liked it or didn't like it because a person made certain decisions. Right, and you can also go, hey, was that decision? like, was that earnest? And yeah. at the end of the day, you go, it's a special, so like, maybe it wasn't the same way that you would say, hey, did, you know, Nate Bergazzi really mean that thing he said, or did John Mulaney really like, did, was that a story that actually happened? Or is this performative? Because it's also okay.
0: That's, yeah, maybe we're getting our signals crossed, because that's exactly what I'm I'm trying to convey, is that this is not like the only bow that exists. This is what he used to convey what is without a doubt a very real thing that lives within him. But like, I, I see like diagnosing of Bo Burnham happening on the internet. And I think that's really yeah, d- dangerous. That's okay. And I think that that's, but I, I realize in saying this, that I'm also kind of part of the problem, but like, I think for sure that's what you're being asked not to do in the special is just like, mm-hmm. see it for what it is. Maybe find some, uh, self-reflection in it. Uh, and and certainly be moved by the bravery of it. There's no question that it's, like, y- you right. do not There's see... a vulnerability there. Oh, yeah. You don't see that kind of vulnerability in very many people in this day and age.
1: Or very many performances for that matter. No. So even if it was a performance, it's still, like, bold choices.
0: Yeah. Well, it was definitely a performance, and it was bold choices.
1: Mm-hmm. But I guess I just even mean in the moments where you're supposed to go, is was he really feeling this way? Like when yeah. he broke down, is this or is this supposed to be like a like a, a painting of what the pandemic was like for
0: some people? Yeah, maybe. It's interesting you brought up the pandemic because it seemed to me pretty decisive how little it references the pandemic was like one
1: oh but that's exactly what it was supposed to be about like he wasn't just inside for a year because right because he was going to be inside for a year he was talking about how he was going to go out on
0: tour no he no that I know in January yes. 2020 right yes yeah. no that that's true and that is but really the only time he like directly references the pandemic yes of course it's a special about isolation when isolation is its most relatable and it's what enforced this particular creation but i mean it's called bo burnham inside because you're inside his head not so much because you're inside his house you know what i mean and i i think let let's just say let's just use the the blanket term depression quite clearly that exists irrespective of the pandemic right like that's that's a lot of what he's grappling with actually has nothing to do with covid-19. Uh, you know the, that the internet is dangerous and that Jeff Bezos is dangerous and uh, FaceTime with your mom tonight I guess that kind of has a an indirect covidness to it. Although it would be funny without all of the zooming we've been doing for the last year. So yes, I th- I think that it makes sense for it to come out here at the end of the pandemic in terms of relatability. And and for sure some people, you know, w- were really in a, a true state of isolation in a tragic and and self-reflective way. But I think the special was a lot more than that.
1: But I think the special I mean, I think it helped everyone maybe to relate more with it because yes. it happened over the pandemic. Like to me, that was top of mind the entire time. It was someone someone with a, a mental health struggle going through the pandemic and kind of almost like journaling throughout and by the end of it you're getting those kind of musical journals that are honestly a relief yeah you know the actual just kind of witnessing him like walk place to place or or say what he's saying into the camera like the the songs are like, okay, we got some kind of reprieve from that really heavy yeah. feeling that he had. And I think that was kind of the same kind of reprieve that he was getting from doing it. And the same kind of reprieve that he mentioned when he said, you know, I'm six months in at this point And I just realized I don't want to finish because when I'm finished, I need to like, just sit alone at home with yeah. my thoughts Right. So, yeah, I thought that, um, I don't know, man. I wasn't jealous of him at the end of no, it.
0: No, no, no. Me neither. It's funny. I, I remember, because we just got through Oscar season, Promising Young, Young Woman came out a year and a half ago at the festivals, and he was a part of the promotion for that, and he looked more like, like the beau that we recognized during that, and it was pre-pandemic and, right. and all as well. But it was noticeable while Carey Mulligan was and Emerald Fennell were like aggressively promoting that movie during Oscar season that he had recused himself from that discussion entirely. He was just completely absent from the Oscar season. And I guess he was still in the throes of this. But you had mentioned to me in text. He does have a gig lined up. He's going to play Larry Bird in some show. And so like and this yeah. is kind of what I was getting at before about about just the this single depiction not being a universal like all-encompassing depiction of somebody. Um other things are going on, right? And hopefully good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Um, I felt bad that he—he's obviously done other things, and that's amazing. But I felt bad that five years ago he decided he had to stop doing live. Did you not know that because he was having panic attacks? I don't think I did. Yeah, because he obviously did. Like it seems like his his foot's kind of been on the accelerator throughout the whole time anyway like he's had things he hasn't we haven't lost visibility
0: no and that's a over. good point it was like uh, i'm sure that was horrible for him but it was a pretty convenient time in his career for him to be able to quit performing in front of live audiences because he was getting cast in movies and he got to make his own movie like everything was seemingly at least professionally speaking going okay for him without that and his like yeah. live stage shows we really quite okay. special, but yeah, that's what that Kanye West, uh, prestige that can't handle this song from the end of make happy. That was really about like how yeah. I like it, it talks to the audience and he says, part of me hates you. Part of me loves you. Part of me needs you. Part of me fears you. And he's basically talking about like, I, I, I don't know why any of you are here and it's making me crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Makes me so think back to that. Like that was one of the best, uh you made it weird with pete Holmes. amazing remember yeah. that one
0: i was hoping he'd be on you made it weird this week and i could like really see into his head like in a more relaxed way i knew it wasn't going to happen but part of me was like maybe he'll do a podcast this week and i'll feel better about this special
1: was that not the first thing that i did after i finished special was to go to podcasts and just search bo burnham and there, there i think there was one that was out like march 7th or something i don't know what it was like it wasn't anything that i recognized right but uh, I'm interested in, in digging deeper. I just want to hear him talk about things.
0: You know what my favorite song was in the in the new special? It was um, Funny Feeling, the folk song when he plays guitar. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. That song breaks me. I've listened to it three times now.
1: There's a real thing, and I got it right there, and I thought I came up with such a good point. And I brought this artist up to you before. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, we are seeing a comedian transition into like actual music that is like just kind of like poignant, yeah. like Father John Misty. And then I'm seeing everyone on YouTube going like, yeah, it's actually a very like Father John Misty kind yeah. of vibe that I'm getting from this. I'm like, oh, here we are. Because uh, like, you know, a song like Total Entertainment Forever is yeah. exactly, you know, like he starts betting taylor swift's every night oh, inside right. the oculus rift
0: right right and then it's
1: like a super like kind of like catchy song but it's all about how fucked society kind of is by like staring at screens and being so insular
0: right that song in particular was it was interesting because it wasn't about him at all it was about kind of indirectly it was about like an apocalypse like it's just about like how here's a it's a long it's a folk song it's like a laundry list of things that are the downfall of society and it's at least it's almost over but like that's that for whatever reason that one that one really stayed with me and then but at that point it was three quarters through and i was like i want this to be over now i loved this and it's it's maybe like a masterpiece the likes of which we rarely see but I, I'm really tired and I want it to be over now. And I really want it to have mm-hmm. a happy ending.
1: Do you think when he, I actually just asked myself this question when he came out, when his intermission and he came out and he like washed the window in front. I was yeah. like, is this like a Zamboni? Like he's just like <laughs> cleaning the screen for the rest, of, for the second half. Such I, a Canadian I interpretation. Yeah. I, I think it was. I was like, this is great.
0: Uh, two more Love questions it. about this special for you. One is a leading question. The other uh, is not. Um, is our discussing this with any kind of authority or analysis on our podcast that we gave ourselves because we wanted to talk publicly about stuff that we don't have the authority to talk about, is that inherently antithetical to the message of this special? Like, like when he rants about how... The
1: special how- is inherently antithetical to the special. Well like said. He, You're he right. Complete, he completely mentions this at one point he's like I can I can solve these problems while still being the center of attention yeah and references him being like needing to be in front of people and doing this although he kind of so like no I don't feel guilty that's the perfect
0: that's a perfect answer I didn't even thought of that you're right there is an inherent hypocrisy to his whole thesis which he is aware of and that makes it okay (laughs) that's right makes me feel better about myself that,
1: that that brings in the, the overall meta theme that we've been talking about throughout this entire
0: podcast. Here's a, another um, a vapid question Does he win awards for this? Oh, I think he should. Because he's not on Spotify with this, and I don't know what the regulations are to win a Grammy. Um, but, like, I mean, there's a comedy album category that this wouldn't currently be eligible for, but it wouldn't be hard to make it eligible mm-hmm. for. But then again, like does he want that? Is that what he's chasing?
1: And and also like man, him singing, like he's he's saying these things about, you know, Jeffrey Jeff Bezos, Jeffrey Bezos. And he's releasing it on Netflix. Like yeah. he he gets that. He's grappling
0: with Oh yeah. This. Oh yeah.
1: So even releasing it on like, you know, Spotify or Apple Music and you know, this is all
0: bugging him. I think part of the part of the machine. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah, I think that he could have put it on YouTube for free, but I, I think he probably spent like a million of his own dollars on it, and he figured like I need somebody to pay me for this, otherwise I'll have ruined my life. Like mm-hmm. I I appreciate that.
1: Totally. I mean, man, he earned he earned all that and yep. more from right. doing this special, and. Uh, yeah, he could have, he could have even paid someone to tidy up maybe at the end of every night. Like that. Well,
0: so. yes. In fact, it's funny you say that because I think that's a really good indicator of whether or not there is an illusion being created here. There were other names in the credits. Did you notice that? Like he made it without a crew per se and that there wasn't like a camera operator there with him. There's like yep. color correction being done. There's editing work being done out of house. Like there are other names in yep. the credits. And so yep. that lends itself a little bit to the understanding of this as a film, as a singular mm-hmm. piece of, of, of artwork. Right. And this is not a
1: takedown. This is all in support.
0: I loved it. I give it my S for sure. I, I, I caution people that it, it, can be and will be triggering, but it's like you rarely see this kind of honesty in a in a in a piece of content.
1: Yeah, like I said, I actually I think all of the like be careful messages that I got going into it, like heads up, like it is unhinged, like you're going It actually made me probably enjoy it more because I was like, oh, we're starting off with a with a comedy song, like Daddy's got your content, right? And I'm like, oh, so this still is a uh, Bo Burnham special. Sure. It's just there's more emotion and more kind of interludes where he's explaining how unhappy he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, not that. to say I'm okay with that, but like, no, I, he, he wants people to enjoy it.
0: <laughs> Definitely. I've, I've been a fan for half my life and I'll continue to be. All right. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this sucker up. Nothing in Kaplan corner. Oh, this is kind of fun. We talked about yeah. uh, Kate Winslet a little, a little bit tonight. Because you finished Mare. Uh, She and Will Smith made this movie in 2016 uh, called Collateral Beauty. Do you remember that movie? Didn't...
1: No, the name sounds familiar. Didn't move
0: the needle. Like, you probably didn't see it. Like, nobody saw it. It was just kind of one of those, like, brushed by, starred two movie stars, but, like, was not nothing special. And then now it's having a yeah. run on Netflix. I just I googled Will Smith today and I saw that it's strangely the sixth most watched thing on Netflix right now, Collateral Beauty starring. And it might be an indirect Mary Town kind of bandwagon thing. Oh, I
1: think it's a direct Mary Town bandwagon thing. I think people I think weirdly this is like the broadest appeal that Kate Winslet has maybe had since Titanic. Maybe. There's a lot like, of really think about it. This, yeah, she's she's had she's had a lot of like like Academy Award nominations and like, but she when has she been the star of an HBO show that everyone's talking or the star of something that just everyone's talking about? Not since Titanic. Like to me, and this uh, is a very surface level. Yeah. I can dig deeper
0: and maybe. I feel stuff. like Kate Winslet is probably an IMDb where we could go through and we could be like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, right, never mind, we screwed this up." Yeah, <laughs> fair, but very. But you're. Fair. But I hear your point too. Like the 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 high profileness of it is rarely matched. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the holiday is like a movie that people return to, but she's part of an ensemble there.
1: That's actually like yeah, arguably maybe top. Top three as far as I and I don't know the earlier '90s stuff or the I think still kind of like pre She's pretty new Titanic. in Titanic. Like she She's was, pretty green in Titanic. Yeah, post Titanic, I don't know anything really until like Eternal Sunshine. Well, I
0: just wonder like <laughs> as much as much attention and eyeballs have been on *Mare of Easttown on HBO. Does that translate to to? Getting you the sixth most watched thing on Netflix, which way more people have, like, do you, I, I? I agree, it probably helped, but is that enough to propel Will Smith's Kate Winslet movie to number six on Netflix? I think it is. Cause
1: why else would it be? Like, why, well, like, funny when? business,
0: funny business on the part of uh, uh, Will Smith is what I'm trying to get at.
1: Oh. Yeah, you know what? That's what it was. Sold. Great. And that's why you never trust Will Smith. Correct.